morning. Recently, I heard a what I thought was a funny story. We'll see if it translates here as I share it this morning. And it goes, it's a story of two guys who were hanging out together, sitting at a table. And one friend says to the other, hey, man, I, I, listen, I'm really thirsty and I would love a Coke, but I don't really have the money for it. So let's make a bet. I'll ask myself a question. And if I can answer the question that I ask myself, then you have to buy me a Coke. To which his friend responds, well, that doesn't seem very fair. You ask yourself a question, you answer it, you buy yourself a Coke, no, I'm not going to do it. And he says, no, 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 I'll go, and then you go. And then you ask yourself a question. If you can answer it, then I'll owe you a Coke. And we'll go back and forth until finally one of us asks ourselves a question that we can't answer. And his friend looks at him and says, that's not going to happen. We're just going to keep asking ourselves easy questions. He says, no, 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 trust, trust me, it'll happen. And so his friend says, okay, you suggested it, you go first. He says, okay. Uh, my question that I'm going to my, ask myself is this. How can a rabbit dig a hole in the ground without kicking up any dirt on top of the ground? Like, how does he keep no dirt, no mud gets on the ground? How can he dig a hole? And the answer to my question is this. He starts by digging inside the ground. He starts from inside the ground. To which his friend responds by saying, how in the world is he supposed to do that? To which he responds by saying, I don't know. That's your question. Now, why do I share this story, right? <laughs> going into the bet, I'm glad that you laughed. I didn't know that was going to work at all. Uh, <laughs> going into the bet, right, they both knew the rules. Like, don't ask, your, don't ask a question that you don't know the answer to. And already from the beginning, his friend misses out. He asks the question that he doesn't know the answer to. Now, why do I share that story? The last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, the, the manifestations, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that empowers believers, followers of Jesus, to love and encourage other people. And the reason I share that story is I think sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit and Him manifesting Himself and believers and giving believers power, I think sometimes we might just start to feel a little uncomfortable. And the reason we might start to feel a little uncomfortable is because the issue is, and it's the same issue that the Corinthians are dealing with, is that when we uh, ask God or when we try to do things, uh, maybe for a show, or maybe to say, look how uh, spiritual or holy I am, or look at all the things that I can do, that is when people get hurt, that is when people get uncomfortable. And as we've seen, that the role of the Holy Spirit is primarily to help us build up and love and encourage other people. And when we miss that point, that it's not about us, it's not about how holy we are, it's not about what we can do, but instead it's about, it's about loving and building up other people. When we miss out on that, when we forget that, that's when we run into trouble. And so the question I want to give us this morning as we, look, as we get into the text is this. Do you want the Spirit's power in your life? Do you want this power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit in your life? I'm going to uh, base my, I'm going to work off the assumption that the answer to that question is yes. And now even you might be sitting here be like, well, I'm not even sure if God exists. I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing. My assumption, though, is that you might grant that if God does exist and his spirit could actually rest in you, that you would actually want that to happen. Do you want the Spirit's power in your life? We're we talking about what that looks like. We're kind of cap that off today. And so if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a black one somewhere around you. And if you do not own a Bible, we would love for you to take one of those black ones home. It is our gift to you. So two weeks ago, we, were at, we read the first part of chapter 14. Uh, then we kind of got out of order. We read chapter 13 this week, and now we're going to read the last part of chapter 14. As I begin, really quick, I just want to start by reading verse 1 to set up the context of what we're talking about. So chapter 14, starting at verse 1, here's what Paul says. He says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially 
that you might prophesy. So again, he says we should desire things of the Spirit. We should uh, desire God to use us to love and build up other people. Again, the point, again, it's not for us, it's for others. And it ultimately, it's about loving and building up other people. Now today, two weeks ago, we kind of talked about speaking in tongues and how all that plays out. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about prophecy, right? It's another one of those things that we're just like, ooh, I don't... I don't know how I feel about that, right? And so let me just explain the context of what's going on and what Paul's talking about. When he's talking about prophecy, he's literally saying uh, that God might give you a word, that God might speak or say something to you to love and encourage other people. And I think when we uh, think about prophecy, our mind uh, uh, goes straight to like Old Testament prophets, like thus saith the Lord, it's going to happen, this sort of thing. Uh, we're not necessarily saying that Paul is saying that you, you and I are going to be prophets. So I don't want to make you think that you're going to be like Old Testament God says everything that I say happens is going to happen. It's not that, but rather it's asking God as you ask God to lo- help you love other people better that there might be times where he gives you something to say to love or to encourage other people. And maybe you, uh, maybe the word prophecy might make you feel uncomfortable, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably have experienced this, right? There probably have been times where you maybe just said, hey, I'm going to pray for you, or hey, I just want to say this to you, or I feel like I'm just supposed to tell you this. Right? It's probably happened to you, and Paul's saying this is a good thing that we should pursue. And so as we begin, before we kind of talk about prophecy and what it looks like and how, uh, unlike maybe some of the other manifestations of the Spirit, that Paul actually encourages all believers to ask God to use them in this way. Here's just what I want to make a side point real quick, and that's this, that Paul is speaking to you, that if you are a follower of Jesus, he is talking to you. Again, I think so often, especially when we talk about things like this that might make us feel a little weird or, or a little uncomfortable and maybe think, surely God won't do that with me. Surely God won't use me in this way, that he's talking to you. Remember, uh, the manifestations of the Spirit are not about you and how holy you are and how spiritual you are. It's about God and his grace uh, allowing and using us as a part of his mission. And if you just assume that God will never use me in this way, you'll miss out. Kind of think of it like this. Like, have you ever maybe been somewhere where you didn't listen to what somebody was saying? Maybe it was an announcement or whatever. You weren't listening because you thought it didn't apply to you. And then later on, you were in a situation where you're like, man, I really should have listened what they said, right? I don't want that to happen. So let me give you an example. When you fly, right, when you fly, uh, if, if it's the first time you've ever flown or maybe you haven't flown in a long time, uh, the person, the flight attendants come out and they give you like the, the safety instructions if something happens. Now, if it's your first time, you listen. The, fact, the problem is they give you so much information that you're like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. If you've flown more than once, you don't listen. You're just like, it, what does it matter if this thing crashes? It ain't going to matter anyway. You don't listen, right? <laughs> Well, uh, uh, a few months ago, uh, there was a flight, there was a Southwest flight where basically one of the engines exploded and it hit one of the windows and it busted it wide open. And so the flight was flying and it was, it was actually going to land, but it busted it wide open. So those oxygen masks that you're supposed to put on fell. Here's a picture of what happened. Now, I don't know if you can see this, but there was a guy in the plane uh, and there is this guy that tweeted he's, he works in the airline industry. I just want to read to you what's happening here because you, first you might be like, what's wrong with this? He says this, people... Listen to your flight attendants. Almost everyone in this photo from Southwest Air today is wearing their mask wrong. He says, put your phone down, stop the selfies, and listen. What's, what's the problem? That those things are supposed to go over your nose and your mouth. They don't work if it just goes over your mouth. And so there's all these people, and I don't know if like one person looked at the other person, and they all just did it. What happened? Ain't nobody listening, right? Maybe they shouldn't be so boring, but nobody was listening, right? And that was what happened. They missed out on what they were supposed to do. And I don't want that to happen as we look at what Paul is going to say today. And so again, we'll be picking it up in verse 26. Paul says this. 
He says, what then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, another tongue, or an interpretation, and everything is to be done for what? For building up. So again, he's not saying, just to be clear, that whenever the body gathers together, whenever believers gather together, uh, that all these things will happen every time, that everyone will have something to say, that all these things will happen. But his point is that when you come together, that your primary motivation should be to love. So as you sing, as you talk to each other, as you encourage one another, the primary motivation should be for building up and for loving one another. Then he says this, verse 27. He says, if anyone speaks in another tongue, there are to be only two or at most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. So we won't go over tongues again. We did that a couple of weeks ago. But his point is that if you're speaking in a tongue that nobody knows what you're saying, and there's not somebody to interpret it and you're with other people, even though you might be able to do that, even though the Spirit might be manifesting himself in you in that way, you should refrain because if nobody knows what you're saying when you're gathered together in a public setting, it does not build people up. One of the things that we've been talking about is that love is more important than freedom, right? Our love for others uh, is more important than our freedom. Just because you can do something, uh, it doesn't mean you should if it doesn't build up others. And then he says this, verse 29, talking about prophecy. He says, two or three prophets should speak and others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, that first prophet should be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophet, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Let me just say a, a few things real quick about what's going on here. First, he's, he's saying this, that the weighing of prophecy, that if somebody speaks something into your life, is parallels the interpretation of tongues. In other words, that there should be a way to verify or to confirm what is happening. And he's using uh, a, a, the legal process that they would have all been familiar, familiar with in this time. That legally, especially uh, historically Jewish uh, and the Jewish-Israel background, that you could never just accuse somebody of something. There always had to be at least two or three witnesses to say, no, 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 this actually happened or that it didn't. And I think sometimes, and you may have been in this situation, where you might feel like God is leading you to speak something into somebody else's life, but you're, you're afraid, right? What if I'm wrong? Like, what if this doesn't happen? What if I am not supposed to say anything? And so what happens? We don't. We don't try. What Paul is saying, as we're going to see, is, you know what, that's actually to be expected. In other words, that when we actually say things, speak into other people's lives, uh, there, it should be confirmed. In other words, uh, maybe somebody says something to you, and if it's actually from God, if God actually wants you to uh, pursue that thing or wants that thing to happen, what he's saying here is that there should be a few other ways that it's verified. And it could be in a variety of ways. Maybe it's through a conversation that you have with someone else. Maybe it's through your own prayer and Bible reading. Maybe it's a Sunday and a sermon's being preached and you're, you're kind of hearing you're being convicted in the same way. That in other words, when somebody says something, it ought not to be this person said it, it's going to happen or it must be true. He's saying he's encouraging people to whenever you feel like the Spirit might be encouraging you to speak into someone else's life, do it, but do it humbly and encourage them to have it confirmed. Again, if it's from God, it will probably... They take more than one just random sign that it's actually supposed to happen or that it's actually true. Paul's saying test and confirm what you hear. So it takes some of the pressure off when we actually uh, do lean into the, to the Spirit and speak life into other people's lives. And again, second thing, second point, is that Paul is encouraging all believers to do this, right? Verse 1, that's what he said. I want you to do this. He pursues especially uh, spirit or prophecy. Or in verse, uh, where, where is it? Verse uh, 30. 
Where, well, I can't even read. Right he says, all can prophesy. Now, he's not saying you will, but it's, again, it's this idea that you should pursue this thing. That, that, again, the primary purpose of this is to love and to build each other up, but we should not read things. We're talking about the manifestations of the Spirit and say, God can't use me in this way. It's not about us. It's about God. And the, ultimately, the point behind this is not to say, hey, look what, I, look what God told me or look what I think is supposed to happen. In other words, to say this, I want to love and build and encourage you uh, to this end. And he says this, that just because uh, something you have something to say, here's the last point, it doesn't always mean that you should. Just like when he said speaking in tongues, as we read, if you can do it, sometimes you should be silent if there's not an interpreter. Why? Because if you read verse 23, which we won't today, but we talked about a few weeks ago when we were talking about tongues, is that Paul, again, in a public gathering, does not want to promote confusion or disorder. Because if people don't know what's going on, if everybody's speaking at one time, it's not going to encourage and build people up. Primarily, the purpose behind all of this is to love and encourage other people. In other words, if, if I could say what we need to know from this text this morning, it might feel like we've repeated this refrain over and over again, but it's what Paul is saying here, and that's this. That love for others uh, should be our primary motivation in exercising the Spirit's power. Love for others should be our primary motivation in exercising the Spirit's power, and whatever that might be. Maybe it's encouraging somebody, maybe it's praying, empathizing, uh, giving generously, whatever it is. It should not be, hey, look what I'm doing or look what I did. It should be, I want to love and build up other people. When we get this wrong, this is what makes us uh, begin to feel uncomfortable when we talk about things of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you a, a, a personal example of my life. That, that, that makes me feel uncomfortable when it comes to things of the Holy Spirit, because it, it, and not to say that what they did was wrong and what I did was completely right, but as I reflect on what happened, what I think was happening is the motivation behind what was happening is that the people, their motivation was not love and building up. It was say, look what I can do, and you should do it too. So here's what happened. When I was in college, uh, it was Christina, Christina and I were dating at the time. It was her idea that said, let's start this prayer meeting. So we started this prayer meeting on campus. We met twice a week, uh, Tuesday at 10 o'clock uh, at night, or Thursday at 8 a.m. in the morning. And basically what would happen is I would read like two verses, talk for like five minutes, and then we would pray. And we would start on time, we would end on time. And we would, we would, what happens is we would break up, there would be groups of like four to six each, uh, and people would just pray for their campus, pray for needs. And it was really, it was a really, really special time. When it became 11 o'clock, I would stand up and kind of pray over everyone else, and then we would be done. Uh, and so it was really cool. Uh, what happened was over, we actually started to get over 50 college students at our Tuesday night ones. It was awesome. It was really cool. People were praying for the first time you know, in a public setting. It was just really encouraging every single time. Uh, and then halfway through the semester, I guess as just things that happened, there was this other prayer group that also started at the same time, which is great. Awesome. This prayer group was a little bit more uh, charismatic than us, if you're familiar with that term, which is nothing wrong with it. It was awesome, but it was just different than what we did in our gatherings. And so they, some of their people that were leading that one started coming to our gathering again, which is awesome. And I noticed one of the weeks, one of the leaders from the other prayer group happened to be in the group that I was in, and he starts speaking in tongues under his breath when it wasn't his turn, when he wasn't praying, which again, nothing wrong with it, I'm not saying he, it, was, it was anything wrong, whatever. But people were kind of like, what was that? Uh, and then the next week it happened again. Some of the other people were kind of speaking in tongues when it wasn't, when they were kind of sitting in their circles. They weren't doing it out loud, but they were doing quietly, but everyone in their group could hear. And so eventually Christine and I, uh, the week after that, just kind of sat down with some of the leaders and said, hey, nothing wrong with what you're doing. It's fine. But like in our setting, we just don't want to do that because people are asking us questions. They're just confused. And we said, let's just refrain from doing that. And their response, and I feel a little bad sharing the story because I'm not trying to say like we're awesome and they're not. I'm not trying to say that, but here's just what happened. Their response was to basically tell us all the reasons why we should be doing this in our prayer meeting. 
which I'm not discrediting, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying that's fine. But for us, people are confused, and people are praying, and they're being encouraged, and like, we've got over 50 college students. Like, this doesn't happen, and we don't, we don't want to distract from what's going on. And so they said they'd stop doing it, even though they wanted us to, to do what they were doing. Well, a couple weeks later, uh, one of the, the leaders, uh, there was about 10 minutes left in our prayer gathering, and uh, I guess it's kind of funny now, I was really sad then, uh, about 10 minutes left, he just yells. He just, ah, for like eight seconds. I'm not even kidding. And he falls on the ground. And everyone's just like, what do we do? So we end up praying for easily. And people end up leaving. They're really confused. And he lays there for about 15 minutes. That like doesn't move. And his friends are still, eventually he gets up. And his friends were saying how he was touched by the spirit and all these things and how awesome this was. Here, here's why I share this story. Uh, that was the last largest prayer gathering we ever had. People stopped coming. The next semester, we actually didn't even, we weren't even able to start the back up again. What happened? That they were, I'm, not, I'm not saying what they were doing was wrong. I'm not even saying that they weren't touched, whatever they meant by that. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but what happened? People were confused. They were discouraged. They stopped coming because they didn't understand what was happening. What happened there is that although they had the ability to speak in tongues or whatever, their primary motivation was not love. That just because they could do something, it doesn't mean they should. And our group would never really, uh, never really um, made back up for what was happening. People were scared that people stopped coming. I think we would all say, I would rather people come and pray than not. In that situation, love was not the primary motivation. In other words, here is why it's important for us to know that love for others should be our primary motivation. Here's why. Because if we do not love, we misuse the gifts of the Spirit. If we do not love, we misuse the gifts of the Spirit. Now hear me, I'm not just talking about maybe speaking in tongues or prophecy or asking God to like use you or praying for healing for somebody. I'm talking about all of them. You can give a large check right? It, it, but if it's, not, if it's motivated to say, hey, like, look how generous I am or look how righteous I am, that's not good, right? You can empathize with somebody. You can pray with someone who is hurting, but if your motivation is for them to think how great and loving you are instead of actually loving them and encouraging them, that's not good, right? If we do not love, that's, what Paul, that's the issue that they're running into. We misuse the power of the Spirit in our life. Now, I don't know if any of you uh, have ever been given a gift that you never used. Maybe it was like, clothes or it was something like you just didn't want, right? You're supposed to keep it. But what do you do? You sell it. You give it a goodwill. You, you save it for your next like white elephant gift exchange. Like technically you're misusing it, which in that case, maybe it's fine. But you, that was not the point of the reason that you got it. And that's what's going on here, that they're misusing the gifts of the Spirit. Now, let me just say this real quick. This does not always mean that what, we go, that we're, what we're going to do is positive. In other words, there might be times where God has called you or me to speak truth and grace into people's lives that will, that will hopefully let them see uh, maybe sin that they need to deal with or be convicted to actually follow after Jesus. This does not mean that everything is uh, lovey-dovey and always positive, but it does mean that our primary motivation is not legalism, is not to condemn anybody, is to love and encourage them. Now, if that's true, if, if we're supposed to focus on love and we, that's how God is equipping us and we should be zealous for things of the Spirit— Here's ultimately what I, what I think we should do, especially as we've been talking about this the last few weeks. The most practical way I could say this is that I think, especially in our culture, this might sound a little bit weird. Let me explain this. I think this is what God is calling us to do, what Paul would say. Then you and I need to ask God to use you in supernatural ways. That you and I, if the Spirit actually does indwell believers, empower believers to love and encourage other people, then we should ask God to use us in supernatural ways. We've said this the last few weeks, that it could be that you don't feel empowered by God's Spirit because you never asked. It's not that you don't have the presence of the Spirit in your life. We've been talking about that. You do, but you may not be experiencing His power because you don't ask. One of the prayers that I have been praying this year that I've encouraged is, is this. I pray this every day, that, dear God, would you uh, help me love you and love others today 
by the power of your spirit. Whatever that might look like, however you want to do that, God, would you use me in supernatural ways? Again, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, they're all supernatural. Whether it's you praying for somebody, whether it's you loving somebody, encouraging somebody, being hospitable, uh, being administrative, whatever it is, it is all a supernatural empowerment of the Spirit. And so Paul is encouraging us to ask God to do that. Now, when I, when I say that, I, I don't just want this to be uh, something that you go home and you do yourself. Ultimately, I want this to be something that we get to corporately do together. And so if you follow us on social media, get our text alerts or whatever, uh, you know that we have something that we wanted to share pretty significant today. And before I share with you what that thing is, here's what I want us to know, especially with this, that I want you to be involved in what I'm about to say, that I want you to ask God to speak to you to whether or not what I'm about to say is something that we should or should not do. I want you God, I want you to think, this is your church after all, I want you to say, God, use me to help us make the right and correct decision. Now, that being said, uh, drum roll, no, I'm just kidding. Um, as you know, uh, for most of this year, we've been looking for a new space, and we have not been able to find anything. Many of you have asked all, all often, you know, if we found anything, my answer is always like, we don't even have any leads. Like, we don't have any leads because we want to be where we are. We don't want to move 20 minutes away, but things are expensive, um, and there's just not a lot of space. There's not a lot of space available, especially that's zoned for a church to use. Um, in fact, we've talked to multiple uh, real estate agents, commercial, or even ones that work with churches, and nothing. Nothing's come up. We haven't found anything, uh, except for one space that we, particularly me, have been praying for for most of the year. Uh, and recently, we started to engage in conversations with this space um, as, uh, as we found out that they are moving, uh, and this church uh, found, knew that we were looking, and they asked us if we would like to take over and move into their space. And so if you want to put the graphic on the screen, uh, this is uh, the space that we are looking at. If you, you, I know you probably can't see all the, all the roads and everything. That's New City Church, where we are right now. Uh, that little arrow right there is Glenwood Avenue uh, between Millbrook and Lynn. Um, our friends at the Point Church, their North Raleigh location, have been in there for a few years. Uh, they're going to be moving out, and they've approached us and asked us if we would like their space. Now, why, what do I why I share that with you? Because we haven't made a decision. And if, you're, if you call New City Church home, particularly if you're a partner here, we want you, I want to hear from you what you think God might be saying about whether or not we should pursue this space. Specifically, or specifically, there's three ways that you can be praying. One is this, should we pursue this space, right? Is this something that we actually want God, what is, is actually something that God is leading us to do? That's the first thing. Is, is this actually something we want to do? And I want you to, I want to, we want to hear from you. Like, I don't want this to be a thing of like, well, maybe who cares what I think? This is your church. We want God to use you and us, all of us collectively together in a supernatural way. The second thing is that in order for this to happen, as you are probably going to assume what I'm going to say, is that it is a great financial, uh, there's a great financial need. Uh, we don't have all the details, but right now we're looking to have to raise about $75,000 uh, to cover the first month's rent e increase, uh, some equipment that we'll probably need to buy to move in, as well as we have our own lease here that's a six-month notice that we have to give, and so there might be some overlap a few, uh, for a few months. Now, $75,000 may sound like a lot to you, may sound like a little to you, I'm not sure. Uh, relative to our budget, it is a lot, but relative to what it normally costs to move, it's actually not that much. And so here's what we would do. We're not going to ask anyone for any financial commitment or anything today. We're going to ask that you would pray that God would make this happen financially if it is what God wants us to do. And then thirdly, even if we agree, hey, we want to pursue this, and even if we find a commitment to actually raise the money that we need, 
there's still not a guarantee because there's, a, just, a, there's just a lot of moving parts. There's a lease that they're uh, moving out of. There's a lease that we have to deal with. There's just a lot of timing issues that go into it that all have to work out if this is going to happen. Uh, we think that this is from God, but this is our church, and we want you to be a part of it. One of the, the great things about this space is on Glenwood. It's about a seven-minute drive from where we are. It's closer to NC State, and it's also right off the main road, so it's not behind a building that we're in. Now, what we want to do is we want to pray. We want to ask God. We also want to invite you in on this, as you'll see on the graphic. Tuesday night, uh, this coming Tuesday at 7 o'clock, we're going to go there. And anybody at this church, anyone that wants to come with us, we're going to go. They're, they're going to let us, we're going to go inside, we're going to show you around the space, and we're going to pray. It's going to be informal, it's going to be laid back. If you have kids, feel free to bring your kids, and we're just going to pray that if this is what God wants us to do, that he would make a way for it to happen. And so we'll send out more information uh, later today. Feel free to ask any questions, but this Tuesday night, if you have plans, change them. If you don't have plans, now you do, because we're going to go and we're going to ask. Uh, I'm, I'm personally excited about this. Our space right now is about 3,200 square feet. Uh, it doesn't include our kids' space, which is across the street over there. Uh, this space is 7,500 square feet and would actually give us room to grow uh, and to, to have more people to gather together. Again, the point of all of this, let me just be clear, it's not about New City Church. It's not about us growing for the sake of like, hey, look what's happening. It's about helping me people meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. And we feel like God has been doing a really cool thing here at New City Church, and we want to make more room for that to be possible. So I just ask that you would pray, is this what God wants us to do? If so, would he provide a way financially that some of it will be through you? And thirdly, that he would work on the timing, and we would love to invite you this Tuesday night, that's the address, 6904 Glenwood Avenue in Raleigh, to come and pray with us. We're excited about this, but this will only happen if God moves in a supernatural way and uses you in the process. So would you consider praying for us as we make this decision and let us know if you have any questions. So I don't know. I've said a lot. I don't know if that even makes you excited at all, but okay, one person. All right. Uh, but that's what's happening. That's what we want to share with you, that there is a potential for us to move, to make more room, and to do some really cool things in the Raleigh area. And we would love for you to be a part of that. I hope that I did not oversell the announcement today. Uh, but we have to keep going. We have to keep going. Verse 33, then Paul goes on to say this. He says, as in all the churches of the saints, the woman should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to submit themselves uh, as the law also says. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, uh, as, as you know, God's providence would have it, and as we figured, we didn't know uh, last week that we were going to make this announcement this week. Um, I don't know that there are any two verses in the Bible that are more of a buzzkill based off the announcement that I just made <laughs> than what I just read. <laughs> Let me explain what's going on before you leave. Here, here's what's... Okay. Anyone have a prophecy? We just want to stop. Uh, here's what's going on. Um, as always, anything that we read in Scripture should be read in the context of the surrounding verses, the context of the book that it was written in, and in the context of the Bible. So let me just be clear. The gospel of what it means to follow Jesus, to receive the grace and the forgiveness of sins, is abundantly clear. Like, you don't need to be able to read, you don't need to have any sort of education to know that Jesus has died in your place and is welcoming you and inviting you into a relationship with him. It's abundantly clear. That being said, there are things sometimes in Scripture that are uh, maybe hard to understand. 
that I think maybe especially in our Western, you know, Protestant tradition, which is great, we sometimes devalue the need for uh, theologians and scholars to actually study what is going on. This is one of those times, I'll say all that to say, that there is a little confusion here, that although the gospel is abundantly clear, there are times where we have to just admit, let's, make, let's try to make sense of what we, we think is going on the best we can, but we don't completely know. And so the question is this, how do we reconcile what Paul is saying here, for example, with what Paul says, if you were here, again, talking about the passage of the book, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what does Paul say? He essentially says that both men and women are to pray and to prophesy, right? Now, there was an issue with some of, with one of, the, some of the things that the women were doing, because they were doing it in that culture in a shameful way. The problem is not that they were praying and pro- prophesying. The problem is how they were going about doing it. In fact, even in Acts, in the New Testament, it says that God is going to use both men and women to pray, to prophesy, to build up his church. So how do we reconcile that with what Paul says in chapter 11 with what he says in chapter 14? It's why it's important for us to read this together. Let me just make a quick note of what's happening here. Uh, We just want to be clear that Paul is addressing an issue that was clear to them, but is not so clear to us. We don't exactly know what was going on here. And this might sound a little like, why is even Paul putting this right here? I'll explain it in just a second. But here's what's happening, especially because Paul encourages all men and women to pray and prophesy, even in a gathering together, a public gathering. The question, as we know, is not about what they're doing, but it's about this dishonoring or doing it in a shameful way. After all, as we're talking about all the spiritual manifestations, just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. The point is to love and to build up other people. And so what most, most likely is happening here is that Paul is referring to women, uh, or n- not just women, but wives in particular, questioning their husband's prophecy. In other words, uh, they were doing it in a way that would have brought shame, particularly in that culture. So maybe their, one of their husbands was speaking uh, something that they felt God is telling to someone else, and their wife might have come up and said, what do you mean by that, or why are you saying that, or I'm not quite sure I disagree with that. Uh, and so it would have been an awkward thing. It's not saying that they should, but Paul's just saying, hey, don't do that in a public setting. Now, let me just, I know there's a lot. Let me just kind of give you maybe a modern example of how that might play out. It doesn't perfectly parallel, but it's close. Let's just say, for example, that I'm up here preaching, and somebody stands up and says, I don't think that's right. I disagree. What do you mean? That's confusing. Like, we would all admit that would be awkward, right? That would just, that would be awkward. You want to make it, you want to know what would make it more awkward? If it was Christina. If she stood up and said, are you sure about that? I mean, you would be able to hear a pin drop. Like, you'd be like, get you, you'd be like, let's get the popcorn. Like, what's, it would just be, it would be more, why? It's because she's my wife. Like, it just, it would be. And that's what Paul is, is saying here. It's not, again, we, we don't all know what's going on here. There also seems to be, and we won't rehash it here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that Paul is, well, uh, is calling back the order of creation, that in an ideal world, in a biblical world that God has designed, that men are supposed to lovingly submit and sacrifice themselves for their wives and their children. And hopefully that is what was going on here. Last thing I'll say real quick is there is one commentator that puts it this way. Uh, it'll be on the screen. He says this, even though the cultural context is important and probably explains a lot, especially concerning behavior that brings social shame, because that was what's going on here, uh, theological considerations are also in view. In other words, uh, Paul disallowed certain kinds of speech and called for submission as the law says. Paul's concern is for the integrity of all relationships, for the good of the church, and the glory of God. In other words, there was a way that this was happening that would have been shameful or embarrassing in that culture. It all goes back to the larger context that we are always supposed to be pursuing love over anything else. And then he concludes the section by saying this, verse 36. And really the section all about the spiritual manifestations that we've been talking about the last few weeks. 
He says, or did the word of God originate from you, or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that I write to you. What I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Again, brothers and sisters, men and women, be eager to prophesy. And do not forget, forbid speaking in tongues. But everything is to be done decently and in order. In other words, that Paul is saying that what I'm writing to you is actually with the authority of God. It's why it ends up making it into our New Testament. The what I'm writing to you is from God. And the point is that this is how you practice spiritual manifestations, that we should seek them, that we should be zealous for these things, but it should always be done in order and, and, and in a way that builds and encourages other people, that that is the point. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about loving and encouraging other people and that we should ask God to use us towards this end. That is why he invites us in onto his mission. And so that being said, here's how, as I'll close with this, is really the main point of what I think Paul is trying to tell us in this section. And really, for the last couple of chapters that we've been reading about, you know, order and love and spiritual manifestations, and that's this. Uh, that the Spirit's power rests on those who intentionally desire to love others. The Spirit's power rests on those who intentionally desire to love others. And my hope is that this is encouraging for you, that the Spirit's power does not rest on people who are Bible scholars, it is not rest on people who are perfect and never sin because nobody does that. It is not rest on people who appear to be spiritual or appear to be holy. It rests on people who intentionally desire to love. And so whether you've been following Jesus for a day, maybe you're not yet a follower of Christ, but you're interested in that, or maybe you've been following Jesus for 40 years, I don't know. That the power of the Spirit is not about you. It's something that God freely and graciously gives us. In other words, the Spirit helps us do what Jesus did. It's the last time I'll say this as these last few weeks. Next week, we're going to take a one-week break uh, from 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk about life in the Spirit. What does it mean to live a life in the Spirit? Hopefully, bring this all together. But what happens here is that the Spirit helps us do what Jesus did. That Jesus, although he was fully God, at the same time when he was on earth, he was also fully man. And so he needed and he relied on the Spirit to help him fight sin, to help him love other people, and even to help him perform some of the miracles that he performed, right? He, he relied on the Spirit to make a difference in the lives of people around us. And that is the invitation for us. And this all goes back to the gospel. Now, the gospel, it's not about you. It's about Jesus lovingly giving his life for us, not because he needed us, not because he wants anything from us, but to invite us in mission, with mission, well, into mission with him. And we do that by his Holy Spirit, that God's Spirit graciously, like Jesus gave his life for us, graciously pours himself out in the lives of believers to love and encourage other people. That just like Jesus invites us to come and follow him so that we can experience life, he doesn't just say, hey, come and follow me and hopefully you figure it out. As we'll talk about next week, he says, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you a spirit so that you do not live this life alone. Again, the Spirit's power rests on those who intentionally desire to love others. The question is, will you, will, you use, will you let God use you in this way? Will you pray towards that end, whether it's about our space or whether about in your individual lives? We want to be people that love others so that as many people as possible can meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. Let's pray.